Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us with our broadcast today. We're doing a follow-up on our mini-series that we have done on Fatima. And if you can remember, I highlighted Revelation chapter 12, which seems to play such a huge part in the apparitions of Fatima as well as the papal homilies at Fatima at various anniversaries and special events. For instance, Pope Paul VI at the 50th anniversary of Fatima, his text, Revelation 12. John Paul II, when he revealed the third secret of Fatima, Revelation 12. And I predicted last week that when Pope Francis went to Fatima, I wouldn't be surprised at all if his text was Revelation 12. And wouldn't you know it, it was Revelation 12. And so what I would like to do today is follow up on something really important found in Revelation 12 that's critical for those who are Protestants and want to understand Catholicism, particularly what Catholics believe about Mary. And it's important for Catholics themselves because their whole identity of what God wants to do in their life is prefigured in what God has done through Mary. So what we're gonna be talking about today is the queenship of Mary. And I'm just gonna read the first verse of Revelation 12, and we're gonna be basically digging deep into this this week and next week, but here it goes. Revelation 12 and verse one. And a great portent appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And again, you're gonna see how this text from Revelation 12 really opens the door for understanding one of the more difficult aspects of Catholic beliefs regarding Mary. It literally helped me beyond uh, any way I can possibly describe, although I'm gonna try the next couple of broadcasts. In the fifth glorious mystery of the rosary, maybe we just kind of do it out of habit, but we're, we really should be a bit stunned when we come to that final mystery of the rosary where Mary is crowned as queen of heaven and earth. That one just sounds, if you stop to think about it a little bit, just way over the top. And for Catholics listening, I can promise you that Many of your Protestant friends think that is so far over the top that it's not even worth addressing, okay? And yet, once your Protestant friends realize the biblical basis for that fifth glorious mystery, wow, everything changes. Really, it does. You know, in August, uh, the Catholic Church celebrates the feast of the queenship of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Now, I'm just going to take a pause here in this broadcast just for a second, asking you Catholics listening to just uh, be patient with me a minute. I want to speak to our Protestant friends listening, because I do know that we have many Protestant friends who listen to Catholic radio. I know particularly here in South Carolina, Catholic radio does a fantastic job of not only reaching out to the Catholic community, but the Protestant community as well. Now, 
again, I'm speaking just as a friend to our Protestant listeners. And let's say you're a friend listening for whatever reason. Maybe you just don't like Catholics and you're listening to Catholic radio just to get more ammunition to basically attack the Catholic faith. Let's say you want to let's say you want to call the Pope the Antichrist. Woo! You'd say, who in the world would do that? Well, I did that. That's right. I wasn't a warm, fuzzy ecumenical type when I was an evangelical. Um, I wasn't sure about it, but I thought there might be something to the fact where the original Protestant reformers thought the Pope might be the Antichrist. Or perhaps you don't like the Council of Trent, which countered the reformers' position on justification. And you might want to, in any way you can, publicly say the Council of Trent is trash, the Pope is the Antichrist, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, just burn it. Now, I'm not saying do those things. But if you're going to do those things, here's one thing I would urge you not to do. Even though, and I'm speaking to some perhaps anti-Catholic listeners right now. One thing that I would urge you not to do is denigrate Jesus' mother. Say what you will against the Pope and priest and Trent and catechism and whatever else, and I'm not encouraging that, don't get me wrong, but I would urge you as a friend never to denigrate the mother of Jesus. Let's just say you're having a beer with a buddy, and you say to your buddy, hey, Joe, you know what? You're a jerk, and you know what? You're really ugly, and he'll probably laugh and buy another beer. But if you say to Joe, hey, you know, your mother's a jerk, and your mother's really ugly, guess what'll happen? You'll probably get a punch in the face. Now, I'm not saying Jesus is going to punch you in the face, but I have called the Pope an Antichrist. I have thought the Council of Trent in the past was absolute poison. There wasn't a catechism in the Catholic Church to criticize. I wish that it was around because I might have converted sooner. But you get what I'm saying. I did a lot of wrong things. But one of the things that I wish I had kept my mouth shut was denigrating Jesus's mother. Let me tell you a personal story. I was making pretty good progress towards the Catholic faith. Right around this time, I had a precious little girl born in our family. It was um, 1989. She was born in April of 89, and I believe it was the late fall of 1988, as a result of study of Scripture, as a result of studying the women in the Bible, I came to the conclusion from a study of the Bible alone that Mary was the world's greatest woman according to the Bible. And so I was a radical guy, and even though in the past I'd gotten beyond calling the Pope Antichrist and paid attention to the Church Fathers and a lot of other things, but um, uh, I was ready to name my daughter Mary. So you could say I, I made a lot of headway. And about this time, I was driving from uh, southwest Florida across the state on Interstate 4, and in Orlando, right near Disney World, is a huge Catholic shrine called Mary, Queen of the Universe. And I, can, I could close my eyes right now, even though this was years ago, 
and look over. And again, I was making a lot of progress towards Catholicism. I stopped my hostile speech about various aspects of the Catholic faith. But I looked over and saw that title, the shrine, Mary, Queen of the Universe. I just thought, that is just too much. What are you thinking? I just shook my head. Now, again, I was ready to begin embracing Catholic beliefs about Mary. But when it came to the queenship, I thought, nope, this is, this is way over the top. And when it comes to understanding between evangelicals and Catholics, and by the way, I think this is really critical that evangelicals and Catholics learn how to get along with each other, given the cultural situation we find ourselves in. You know, it really is worth taking a second look at each other rather than simply firing cannon shots at each other, because we have a problem in our culture, and it's, and it's time to find unification. But nowhere is there the gap between Protestant evangelicals and Catholics wider than when it comes to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And when you talk about the various uh, Marian doctrines, the various understandings of Mary, even though Mary is the widest, when it comes to the queenship of Mary, and I'm talking about those who are really in the know, the anti-Catholics like I was, it gets no wider than over the queenship of Mary. And Catholics don't understand why in the world do Protestants have such strong objections to Mary. And you think, well, what's wrong with her queenship? And evangelicals are just livid when it comes to this. So the first step in closing this gap is understanding why evangelicals who are anti-Marian, particularly anti-queenship, uh, Marian doctrines, uh, why they hold that. For instance, if an evangelical would hear you say something about the Queen Mother of Heaven, okay, they're going to go to their Bible concordance and say, where in the Bible do you find that? And I can tell you exactly where they're going to go. It's going to be Jeremiah chapter 7. And in Jeremiah chapter 7, starting with verse 16. This is God speaking to Jeremiah. As for you, Jeremiah, do not pray for this people or lift up cry or prayer for them and do not intercede with me for I do not hear you. Do you not see what they are doing in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? God is really mad. He's so mad He's saying to the prophet Jeremiah, don't even pray for them because I'm not even going to listen to you. Well, what are they doing to make God so mad? Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 18 tells it all. The children gather wood, the fathers kindle fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods and provoke me to anger. In the Old Testament, God is furious at his people who should be worshiping the true God, in turn, are worshiping the queen of heaven. 
Now, I can tell you from firsthand experience, and this is both embarrassing and sorrowful to have to admit this, but this is the stuff that I drank from and that hearing a Catholic say Mary is the queen of heaven, it's Jeremiah chapter 7 was was just popping up in my mind. And God was so furious with the Israelites at worshiping their queen of heaven that he forbids Jeremiah to even pray for them. And then, just so you know, along with Jeremiah chapter 7, Jeremiah chapter 44 talks about the same thing. And why, why should Catholics know this? Because <laughs> I don't know if, you know, you, you mention things like Mary's the queen of heaven or, you know, uh, tomorrow's the feast of the queenship of Mary. And you think, yeah, everybody understands. No, some people just go through the roof when they hear this because they're thinking Jeremiah 7 or Jeremiah 44. Now, you get to Jeremiah 44, it's the same thing going on, except now the whole nation has been destroyed, has been invaded. Uh, the, The leading people and the priests have been taken into foreign captivity, and there's a little remnant left. And rather than repenting, they're still worshiping the queen of heaven. And they're saying, you know, when we worshiped the queen of heaven, we had money and we had a lot of crops and everything was going well and we quit doing it and now everything's going bad. So we're going to keep doing it. And of course, this made Jeremiah go through the roof. So in any case, what's your evangelical friend through the Bible alone when he hears the queen of heaven is going to go to Jeremiah 7? or Jeremiah 44. And it's really important, if you're ignorant of this as a Catholic, the evangelical is going to assume that you're simply ignorant of what you're doing. And God is mad at this, okay? So the next step, just in case your evangelical friend really wants to get to the bottom of this, they'll turn to a a Bible dictionary. And they'll find out that the worship of the queen of heaven in the Old Testament was the Babylonian fertility goddess Ishtar. And she was the most important female deity in the idolatrous worship of the ancient Near East. And since she was a fertility goddess, this means it included temple prostitution, free sex in all of its immoral forms. And what a better way to hook otherwise good people into prosperity. Remember, they said when we quit doing this, we we didn't have good crops. That's money in the old world. And they had their sexual revolution. And the queen of heaven was queen over it all. Now, there is a poisonous anti-Catholic book entitled The Two Babylons that have had quite extensive influence, both in the past and in my lifetime. It's written by a man by the name of Alexander Hislop, and his theories have been since discounted. You can even go to Wikipedia and find this out. But in in any case, Alexander Hislop, in his book, The Two Babylons, claimed that what Jeremiah was condemning is going on today in the Catholic Church and the worship of the Queen of Heaven was one of his proofs. I swallowed this. This is why I spoke against the Blessed Mother and the whole idea of the Queenship of Heaven was something just totally off the wall. Now it gets worse. I don't think I've ever 
admitted this publicly. But back in the late 70s and the early 80s, there is a very talented uh, musician by the name of Keith Green who uh, converted to Christianity. And while I was living in California, I heard him one of the first times um, in his after his conversion to Christianity playing, and it was very entertaining contemporary Christian music. And I believe I was the first person to bring Keith to the eastern half of the United States. So I knew Keith, and he started publishing anti-Catholic tracts using claims from Alexander Hislop. And um, to my shame, I distributed these booklets. So you see where this goes? You have to know why and what's causing people to kind of go over the top against Catholics regarding the queenship of Mary, because they're equating that with the idolatrous worship of the queen of heaven, which brought down the people of God in the Old Testament. They were apostate. God was furious at them. The prophet Jeremiah was furious at them. And that has nothing to do with the Catholic belief in the queenship of Mary. Okay, But this is the situation that for knowledgeable, and, I, and as I say, that when I say knowledgeable, I sh- shouldn't say, uh, I don't know what the proper word was, but I mean, I researched this and basically digested that the whole queenship worship in the Old Testament regarding the idolatrous worship, I thought that was what Catholics believe, okay? Now, let me just give you something, a very big hint, and there's about a four-step process we're going to go through here. And we're just going to cover two of the four in today's broadcast. But you want to know that Catholics don't worship Ishtar or anyone or anything else other than God himself. In the Catholic Church, it is a mortal sin. In other words, the most serious type of sin that you can commit, according to the Catholic faith, is to worship anyone or anything other than God himself himself. And I mean, to worship an idol is a mortal sin. In other words, unless you repent, you go to hell according to the Catholic faith. So anyone making the claim that Catholics are worshiping Ishtar or some other kind of uh, pagan deity is just so contrary to the Catholic faith that, uh, I mean, the Catholic faith says you go to hell for something like this unless you repent. Okay, but there's something deeper with this, and this is where you really need to dig down a little bit, and this is why I wasn't just blowing smoke when I said to my Protestant friends, if you really, really need, and again, I'm not advocating this, but if you really need to denigrate Catholicism, there's a number of ways you can do it, and I mentioned criticize Trent, burn the catechism, call the Pope the Antichrist, but I I did say, do not denigrate the mother of Jesus Christ. And here's why. Just because there is a counterfeit queen of heaven, it doesn't mean that there isn't a genuine. Let's just think about this for a moment. Every Protestant evangelical listening believes that there will be a future Antichrist. 
Now, the Antichrist isn't going to come in red pajamas saying, hey, I'm representing the devil here to take everybody to hell. No, he will be imitating Christ. That's why he's the Antichrist. Now, if there's an Antichrist and there's a real Antichrist, does that mean we don't believe in Christ? No, because we realize that the Antichrist will come shortly before the second coming of Jesus Christ to preempt, to deceive, and to lead astray from the genuine. St. Paul says that Satan comes as an angel of light, and that's absolutely true. So if Satan comes deceptively as an angel of light, so therefore we say there are no good angels because Satan comes as an angel of light. No, we recognize there's a counterfeit and there's a genuine. And just think of this. What if crucial to the overall plan of God was to have a real queen of heaven? Just just, uh, stay with me hypothetically for a moment. And if you were the enemy of God, enemy of the plan of redemption, what would you want to do? You would try to preempt that with a counterfeit queen of heaven. And Ishtar and every form of idolatry, including the exaltation of self, which in our world means my ethics are I'm doing my own thing, that's idolatrous worship too, and all of that is sinful according to the Catholic faith, okay? So because there's a counterfeit queen of heaven, Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah 44. It's a, and by the way, you only need to remember one of those two. At Jeremiah chapter 7 in your Bible, just in the footnotes or in the bottom of the page, say, put a little arrow to Jeremiah 44, and you can show your Protestant friends that you're fully aware that there's a counterfeit going on. And then you can tell them about the genuine. Now we, we move to Revelation 12. And the reason I felt so strongly after talking about Revelation 12 for three broadcasts on Fatima that I had to talk about the Queenship of Mary is because Revelation 12 just broke the ice for me. And it was uh, in, in part due to Cardinal Newman, who basically opened Revelation 12 for me in a way that I understood so clearly. Revelation 12 and verse 1 that great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Now you say, well, how did that do anything? You need to understand from the opening scene of the Bible that the entire universe is under the sovereign kingship of God, and the whole universe reflects hierarchy, reflects God's kingship, even the physical universe. We, as human beings, are made in the image of God. And that's why in Genesis 1 and verse 26, he makes people, and then he says, have dominion. Dominion means have a kingly reign. Well, why do we have a kingly reign? Because we're made in the image of the king. And in case we miss that, two verses later, he says, have dominion again, have kingly reign. And I'm just going to move ahead a little bit. In Genesis chapter 2, the first three verses are really part of that opening scene of the, of the Bible. The, the chapter number is in the wrong place, to tell you the truth. It should start with verse 4. 
but it says that God rested from all that he had made. And I'm not going to get into the Bible study aspect of this, but if you do a Hebrew word study on the word rested, it doesn't mean that, oh boy, God really got worn out making the universe. No, if you're omnipotent, you don't get worn out. The word rested means he's in his royal throne, the posture of resting on a throne, ruling over all he has made, okay? Now, here's where we get to the key to open Revelation 12 and the queenship of Mary. It's Genesis chapter 1 and verse 16. It says this, And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also. You see, when we look up in the sky and see the magnificent power and radiance of the sun, uh, its rays touching everything on this planet, well, what are we to think of? God, who made that. See, the sun is, is a word picture, so to speak, of the rulership of God. Just like human beings are meant to have dominion or rule over all God's made on this earth, the sun is ruling the day, the moon is ruling the night. The universe is hierarchical, God is the king, and he's sharing his rulership or dominion with human beings. That's why when we look at Revelation 12 and we see this great sign in heaven of a woman clothed with the sun, the sun is ruling the day, the moon under her feet, the moon is ruling the night, and on her head a crown, crown, that's for queens, of 12 stars. This is why repeatedly popes for over a half a century keep turning to Revelation 12, Revelation 12, Revelation 12, and all you need is Genesis 1 to open Revelation 12 to see that this is the great picture of the queenship of Mary. In the Magnificat, Luke, 20, Luke 1 and verse 52, Mary says this, he has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low degree. Okay, the mighty, he pulls down from their thrones and exalted those of low degree. Well, where does he uh, exalt them to? Let me tell you, to the throne room. That's exactly what God has done with Mary. And I'm giving away a little bit next week, but that's what he wants to do with you. Yes, you. Because what you believe about Mary is going to affect what you believe about your future. This is Steve Wood. You've been listening to Faith and Family. Join us next time to find out more about the queenship of Mary. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to order copies of Faith and Family broadcasts and to learn more about Catholic family life.